What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I'm just waiting for this is the... This is now the recycling truck that's going by. <laughs> because the other guy was right, just a regular trash. Thank yeah. you, Johnny. There we go. Oh, look at Johnny. Oh, I see him. Oh, great. Johnny's Beautiful a good guy. green. Perfect. Great. Wait, there's another garbage can. What was yeah, that? I don't know why he's going back the other way now. I mean, something's <laughs> happening in my little, my little community. There's a lot of trash happening today. There's a lot of garbage happening. You know what? It's after the 4th of July. And that's was, probably... You know, you're exactly right. He's doing a double pass. Great. He's like, wow. People went crazy, especially since they were finally able to be sociable this year. So there's, so there's lots of trash. Hello, I'm Mini Driver, and welcome to Mini Questions. I've always loved Proust's Questionnaire. It was originally an 18th century parlor game meant to reveal an individual's true nature. But with so many questions, there wasn't really an opportunity to expand on anything. So I took the format of Proust's Questionnaire and adapted what I think are seven of the most important questions you could ever ask someone. They are, when and where were you happiest? What is the quality you like least about yourself? What relationship, real or fictionalized, defines love for you? What question would you most like answered? What person, place or experience has shaped you the most? What would be your last meal? And can you tell me something in your life that has grown out of a personal disaster? The more people we ask, the more we begin to see what makes us similar and what makes us individual. I've gathered a group of really remarkable people who I'm honoured and humbled to have had a chance to engage with. My guest today on Mini Questions is actor, producer and director Coleman Domingo. Coleman 
is what I would call a connector. He connects people and ideas and moves through the world with a kind of creative joy. I sometimes imagine him like a fairy tale princess lost in the forest where the path lights up with every step that they take and they're followed by a gentle chorus of butterflies and birds. He is pretty incandescent. We talked about life and love and particularly about change and how it's both a gift and a blight. I left our conversation with a smile on my face that has actually yet to recede. What person, place or experience has most altered your life? Oh, wow. I would say San Francisco. I moved to San Francisco when I was 20 years old. And I thought I was moving to San Francisco to become an artist, but I became a man there. I, I thought I was going to become an actor. I became an artist there. It, it was transformative to me because I, I moved there just to redefine myself, to be very honest. I had a buddy who moved to San Francisco after college. And he was like, hey, I got this place in the Tenderloin District. It's nothing but, you know, street walkers and derelicts, you name it, in the neighborhood. We live in a studio. You want to come and live in a studio with us? I'm like, absolutely. Because that's what you do when you're 20 years old. You live with four other dudes in a studio apartment. And I literally slept in a closet. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a place where I feel like I grew the most. And I sort of redefined myself in every single way. I grew my hair out. I started to do hippie drum circles and do, you know, Watsu and be on the beach naked. I became another version of myself. I became this weirdo artist boy. And then I got even more focused in terms of like what I believe my intentions were, my purpose was, which was being an artist. So San Francisco holds so much of my heart because although I grew up in Philadelphia, I felt like I was raised in San Francisco. And I was there for 10 years. You were? Yeah, I was in San Francisco from 1991 to 2001. Wow. Yeah. Did you become an actor there? Yeah, I became an actor there. I had this inkling. I took a few classes at the Walnut Street Theater School and at Temple University. And then I moved to San Francisco just, you know, with questions and wanting to try things. And then I started to get cast. And then I had to actually learn about what I was actually doing. So my productions were my conservatory, my books, my Meisner, my Stanislavski, you name it, my Uta Hagen respect for acting. I learned blocking by doing it, by wondering mm. what is blocking? What are they writing on stage? So anyway, I became a theater artist in San Francisco. And I learned to respect the theater and respect craftsmanship. And, you know, I was securely in the theater for, you know, I would say 26 years of my career was fully, majoritarily on the stage and writing for the stage and directing. Yeah. Wow. Golly, I always wanted to work in the theater and I could just never get cast. I remember I I live around the corner from the Royal Court which is this amazing theatre in London, this incredible artistic director at the time of this guy called Max stafford Clark. I literally used to go and I'd talk my way in through the theatre and they'd be rehearsing in the studio, whatever, and I'd find my way to his office and I'd be like, uh, hello, and he'd be like, yes. And I'd be like, I am a local actor. I need to work. I've auditioned a hundred times. Can you give me a job? 
And he would look at my resume and he would go, yeah, well, you've got no theater on here. And I was like, no, I know. That's why I need you to, <laughs> I need you to do so it. So we can, we can get some theater on there. <laughs> I used to badger him and it was so funny. I just never, I don't know what it was. I kept getting cast in television. And when you're young, you know, obviously you got to pay the bills. You got to do whatever comes your way. But I never got any of the theater work. I don't really have many regrets, but that is definitely one of mine is that I'd read them a million times, but I never got to play those women that I read. Well, it's not too late. I mean, I think you never know when, I don't know, maybe you've been gestating and holding this in for so long that maybe that theatrical experience will now blossom out of you at this time. Why not? You never know. I had a dream. I had a dream the other night. I'm not kidding. It has never been my dream to play Juliet, by the way. She is one of the least interesting women that I've <laughs> right. wanted to play. I actually auditioned for drama school in the role of Volumnia, Coriolanus's mm-hmm. mother. So I was yeah. 17 playing, you know, a woman in her late 30s, early 40s. And they were so bemused. I think that's why they kind of gave me a call back. They were like, it's this weird child like playing a middle-aged woman with a grown-up warrior son. Like, what are you doing? I was like, I saw Judy Dench do it. It was amazing. <laughs> and they were like, and you took it upon yourself to think that would be a good idea. I had this dream the other night that I was playing Juliet. It was so funny. And in one of the scenes with Romeo, it was actually the scene where they're respectively taking poison. And I sat up and went, I want to be you. Mm. I don't want to be me. Can we switch? And he said, well, yeah, but we're both still going to (laughs) die. It was quite a cool dream. That is fantastic. (laughs) Oh, my God. Where and when were you happiest? Immediately, the first thing I think about is with my mother. I think probably sitting in the kitchen of our row home in Philadelphia. Around 1979, I'm probably doing my homework at the kitchen table while my mother's cooking. And when she would cook, like in the summer or something like that, she would cook in her bra. She would cook in her bra (laughs) and her slip. (laughs) <laughs> and so I just thought, I don't know, that's where my mother cooks. She gets very comfortable. And she, <laughs> and usually she, I can see her frying chicken and she's sweating a little bit, but she's also teaching me. She, she loved that I was curious about how she did things in the kitchen. And something about that, just with a mother's love in the kitchen, my mother always just, she was just a real cool, fun, sweet woman. She's no longer with us. And I'm not someone to angelicize someone, but My mother was really awesome. She was funny and fun and interesting and always curious and inspiring me to be curious as well. So, you know, late 70s, early 80s, sitting in the kitchen with my mom. Do you think those are the cornerstones of happiness for you, which is comfort and hominess and feeling safe? Yeah, I think many. That's why I, I, I tend to have people over to any apartment or house that I've ever had. I'm always the hub. People know that I will have a dinner party just because. Come over for dinner. I love to feed people. I have a beautiful garden pool and I want people over enjoying it at all times. Because I think that's what maybe I was taught, that you share these things. You always have the sense of love and comfort and safety when you have people around. I love that. It's so funny because you'd invited us over on July 4th and I wish mm. I could have got there. Because you're... Your home does look absolutely spectacular. It looks like it's set up for you to never leave it. 
You know what? Listen, we're the second owners after the first owners built the house. And it was built by a Jewish doctor and his wife in 1964. And he built it to be the house that he's in forever. And he was until he was ill and his wife was ill. And then the house went to the children. uh, And then they finally sold it to us. And I feel honestly like the caretaker of the house. I feel less like, Mm -hmm. oh, I bought a house and we made it our own, but I felt like I wanted to love this house because you could tell it was loved. You can feel it. And when anyone comes over to the house, they're like, oh, no one ever wants to leave. Uh, By the way, my party, it started out, I was like, oh, we'll have an afternoon hang. It started at two o'clock and it didn't end until 2.30 in the morning. Oh my God, I wish we'd come. It's that house. I'm telling you, and it happens consistently. I'm just like, no one ever wants to leave my house. I want people to feel loved. And so I'm like, take a nap there, go jump in the pool there, go use this. What There's lotions, whatever you, whatever you need, the house is open for you, you know? It's a very particular thing being a host and there is a huge amount of generosity. And I must say, that's what I think of when I think of you as an actor. Thank you. Generosity, being part of a cast or a collection of actors. It's such a particular mindset. Well, you know, it's wild. I think I've always approached what we do, many as a service job, uh, that we truly are in service. Mm. And I think those roots started in the theater where it's like, I knew the task. I knew what the assignment was, which was to be in service to the audience, to be in service to the story, be in service to what we're creating, to not come in with any preconceived notions, but do as much as I can and then see what I bring to the table and then welcome what someone else brings in. To be honest, if I know one good thing about myself, I may not be the best at many things, but I know I'm a good host. And I know that that's why I become a director because I know how to throw a good party. (laughs) I think there's skills of yours that you need. You're like, oh no, I know my parties are good because I know about the music, who to invite, why to invite them, the kind of vibe. I'm curating the whole thing, you know, and I'm I'm leading the vision and then just welcoming what everyone brings to it. Like bring something, bring a cake, bring nothing, bring a bathing suit, but bring something that is going to help generate this huge, I don't know, epic experiment of communication and love that's why i invited you guys i felt like i knew what you would bring and whatever that is you know i would have bought ribs and a good attitude oh yes thank you for bringing (laughs) ribs i appreciate that pork ribs or beef ribs many pork or beef pork ribs pork ribs same here thank you i'm committed to pork i don't understand the beef ribs too big too much too big and too much too big too gamey exactly (laughs) yes thank you See, Minnie, I knew you were invited to the cookout. I knew it. I'm coming to another cookout. (laughs) I want to stay at a party till 2.30 in the morning. That's amazing. It just kept going. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it when the right people won't leave. It's the worst thing when the wrong people stay. (laughs) But then you really have only yourself to blame for having invited them in the first place. (laughs) So you just talked about being able to appreciate that about yourself, which I love so much because it means that you can actually consciously add that. The things you know you like about yourself, you can consciously bring them to the things that you do and the way you move through the world. Hello. 
Jamila Jamil here. You may know me from my role in The Good Place or from She-Hulk or from social media and my activism. I Weigh basically started as a social movement and my podcast is one of my truly greatest achievements. It's a podcast against shame and a place for us to have really honest and truly inclusive conversations. I love connecting with people. I love learning. I have a lot to learn and I'm inviting you along with me. On I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, I have friends, activists, specialists and absolute heroes join me to teach me from their experience and expertise. People like Conan O'Brien, Jane Fonda, Roxanne Gay, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Byer, Alok, Kelly Rowe, Roland, and more. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil has new episodes out every Tuesday and you can find the show on earwolf.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome to Across Generations where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby Award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.
So tell me, what relationship, real or fictionalized, defines love for you? I think, to be honest, I just have to say it's my husband. Hmm. Raul is one of a kind. I admire him. We've been together for 17 years. And I really admire him. It's not only just about our love, but it's also about our brotherhood, about our friendship, about our patience with each other, about stepping outside of the unit and saying, what do you need? Where are you? And he's gone off and saved whales, and you know, no, turtles. He went off and he went to a turtle farm in Costa Rica for a month. And we didn't speak to each other for a month because he was committed to this thing. I went to London for a while for six months to do a couple of plays and his schedule wouldn't allow him to be there. But it was like, go on your journey. Trust that I'm here for you. It doesn't fracture our relationship with anything. It allows us to grow in another way. It allows us to be independent in some way. When we first met 17 years ago, I'd been through a couple other relationships and I was sort of exhausted with presenting the person that you want me to be in a relationship and actually denying actually who I was and, and vice versa. I was like, no. So actually it became an interrogation when our, our first date was like, what are you really about? Who are you? What are you really like? What do you want? Because I want to know who you really were. Don't be afraid. Tell me exactly the things that you think are ugly about yourself that are beautiful and that you hope you can be better. Because if we're really dealing with each other in that way, that's real love, I think. I think I'm experiencing real love with him because it does mean we can truly be and exist and accept each other for who we are and also inspire each other to be a little different, you know? Do you think that it's different? Like that what you just said, this is what real love is. This is what it is. I think I'm living it. Do you think it's very different to the idea that you had growing up of what love was? Because I know my love is. I can't believe it. I love this person that I am with so much, but in this way that I never thought love would be this, but it is. I always thought it was something else. And actually, my previous thoughts were erroneous. It wasn't that. It is this. I agree, Manny. I agree, because I think a lot of times we're taught that with love, you have to give up something. I don't think it's about giving up. It's about like being open to shift or grow. But I think it's like, I've always believed that love was available. That's something that I I know that some of my friends have not thought or believed, or they come into it believing, oh, my relationship will be these things. And they have these parameters set up. Oh, it must be this. It must look like this. And like, you're creating something in your own mind that doesn't exist. Because when you see that thing and you have that spark, you have to accept what is. And I think love is imperfect. You bend, you grow, you cry, you hurt, you all that stuff. But I think if there's the underpinnings of saying, I'm committed to wanting to do this and explore this with you and explore grace, explore kindness, openness. Someone told me this many years ago and I never forgot it. I asked this older couple, what was the key to their success? And they and I think this woman, this woman she says, you've got to be along for the ride to know that they're going to change and it's going to have nothing to do with you. And that's okay. I think that's the way you have to love people, right? I mean, I'm, Yeah, you have to love them with loose hands. That's it. You can't be tight. I think the fear of people always think that someone's going to leave you. But I'm like, Mm. if someone's going to leave you, they're going to leave you. You can't hold tight to it. You just have to invest and pour all the love and care that you can to it and trust it. It'll be for the time that it's supposed to be. You know, we hope things can be happily ever after. You know, we've been told fairy tales, happily ever after. Mm -hmm. Is that the truth? That's the hope, I believe. That's the wish. But, you know, maybe happily ever after is a few years or a cup of coffee, a few laughs. I don't know. Or, or 50 years. <laughs> it's really true. And we're never really asked to investigate the fairy tale. 
whenever asked to kind of cross-examine it, I know I grew up with this idea that that is what you do. You grow up, you fall in love, that person loves you back, and then you have a baby. And that is not how my life turned out at all. I grew up, did not fall in love, had a baby, did fall in love, broke up with them, fell in love with someone else, but all the time sort of mining for the parameters of what that love is. And it's so far away from the initial idea. And you're right, you have to keep growing. You have to keep Mm -hmm. doing the personal excavation and allow your partner to do that as well, I think. Yeah, because you never even know what your family is supposed to look like. Exactly. I think we're, we're set up, we're thinking, like you said, you're set up thinking, oh, you fall in love, you have a child, it becomes this other thing. But no one even knows that maybe you fall in love, you have a child, you don't have that love. You have uh, another relationship that you become best friends with the person you made that child with or whatever. But maybe your family is supposed to look like this whole other creation based on the actual reality of the people that, that are involved in it instead of some ideological thing, this fairy tale looming over all of us, you know? That's, I'm so interested in how we, how do we disseminate what are the good ideas to hang on to and what are the ones that we should really go, nah, that's not going to serve me. Because you can only do it by living it really. And then circumstance will slap you in the face and go, that was a really terrible idea to have hung on to for so many years. And now here we are. (laughs) Well, that's any good drama, right? Isn't that the the human condition? I think it was um, Marty Knox and great showrunner. She said, um, a great story is a, a, a great p- protagonist that is 100% committed to a wrong idea of themselves. <laughs> I love that. And then it's about the film or the series or something that's trying to challenge them to change. That is really good. We're always attached to a, an idea about ourselves that we have to smash and have to let go of at some point. Because you have to realize, how long is it serving you? Is this really serving you? Are you happy? Are you getting what you want? But you're probably lucky if you get to smash it or even have the impetus to do that. Because a lot of times, I think people will use the quick fixes to stop feeling bad about that thing. And all of the available stuff that we have in our world of consumption, various things from addictive to non-addictive, but repetitive behaviors becomes such a sort of immediate way of dealing with it rather than going Question, question the fundamental idea about why you want to keep doing this thing and if it serves you. I have a question for you. I think by, like, say, let's say by smashing these things, many, if you like, I don't know how have you been as a person when it comes to change? Terrible. Terrible, really? Terrible. Terrible with change. I say to myself, if you change, change everything. I think oh it's, a, I have a fearlessness with that. And somehow it served me. Because I think I just have, all I have is my gut to trust that. So what, why has it been difficult for you? You know what? Because, because I actually feel exactly how you do, which is if I have a gut feeling about something, I have to act on that. And that is often meant engendering change. But the change itself, I loathe. It feels unstable and terrible and queasy <laughs> right. and like, like I have permanent seasickness and it's awful. But I have right. this terrible volition to do it. And I think that is one of the things, like if I could wave a magic wand and change something about myself, it would be to more readily embrace change, to to love it. Nothing in life is stasis, nothing. Everything is constantly moving and evolving. So get on board, woman. Come on, Manny, get on board. That's exactly it. Come on. It's it's so true. true. I remember I moved from New York years ago and people were so, like I had a rent-stabilized apartment. I had a wonderful career in New York and people felt like, why, why are you going to leave New York? You got, you got a rent stabilized apartment. 
And I was like, you know what? You got a because job in an apartment. Why are you leaving? You got a job in an apartment. You're working on Broadway. You're doing good. What are you good. doing? Shut up. But I felt like New York, like I trusted that New York was just not my vibe right then and there. I thought like, I'm not growing. I feel the winds of change coming and I've got to go with it. And so at some point I just, I'll think about it for a moment, but then at some point I just cut it all off. I'm like, give up the apartment. And people are like, no one gives up a rent stabilized apartment in New York. You hang on to it. And you, until they pull it out, claw it under your dead hand, you know? <laughs> but I was like, I got to go. I said, I got to trust that there's more wow. for me. I got to wow. trust. And you know, and then I, I got a rent in Los Angeles that I never would ever imagine paying for because I was kind of like, you know, I was a you know, working artist. I never, I just thought, and I come from a working class family. I felt like, oh, we don't spend that kind of money on an apartment. But I decided to do that because I thought, let me trust the universe that the universe will provide because this is what I need. And then it kept providing that. So I think maybe that's it because I, I've done the math of it now after living in this body for 51 years, I've done the math. And I see that when you trust your gut, when you go with that feeling, it works out. I feel like, I feel like I'm starting my own church right here on your podcast. I love it. I feel like you have a philosophy that is underwritten by New York real estate. I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty interesting way in. I'm kind of feeling, I'm trying to figure out the name of your religion is. Hmm. Stabilize your life. Uh, stabilize know. your life with Coleman Domingo. <laughs> with Coleman Domingo. <laughs> From real estate to... <laughs> <laughs> From real estate to real good vibes. <laughs> there we go. <gasps> That's good. Perfect. I'll take it. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What question would you most like answered? Wow, that's a great question because I think that's a, a question of the heart. Is there a heaven? Mm. And will I truly see my loved ones again? Because, you know, I've lost some really terrific people in my life. One recently, one of my dear friends, Ari. And I lost my parents. And, you know, when I love, I love so deeply. Because I feel like I've been attracted to, I don't know, these dreamers, these people who believe in magic. One was my mom, the other was my dad. One of my best friends, Ari. And you wonder, you're like, are you there? Are you in another realm? Am I just hoping and wishing and believing? But I want to know, is that, is that true? Do we really go to that other place? Are you watching over? Are you listening? Are you speaking to me? Are you walking with me? I wonder if knowing would... You know how when we find magical things out as people and then there's that moment of starting to put it into practice and it's incredible and amazing and then pretty soon this magical thing becomes part of your daily life and it no longer becomes special and magical. It just becomes part of the quotidien. And mm. I wonder mm. if we just can't hold that much information and keep it as magical as it's supposed to be down here mm. on earth in all of this thick vibration of being in a physical body on a planet and that that whole etheric idea, like that we couldn't hold it without corrupting it in a way. Wow. I think that's very valid. As humans, we do corrupt the magic, right? We kind of do. And maybe reaching for it is better. Yep. Reaching oh, yes. for it and, and feeling like, you know, when I go and try and find my mom, 
I really have to feel for her. I have to let go of all of the shit that I've been thinking about in the day. And I have to connect mm. with nature or she always used to tell me to admire the infinite sky. And I wonder if that, that is as pure as it could ever be. And that if someone could tell me if there was a heaven, I'd probably only ruin it mm. by it then just being another thing in my purse. Just another place that you know. Kind of. Yeah, and you're right, because maybe, like you're saying, maybe I want to know because I'm reaching out towards it and it's a burning question in my heart, but it also keeps us in that realm of magic and that dimension of space and time and transcendence mm -hmm. and the things that we don't know. Maybe you're right. It's maybe, maybe we're not supposed to know everything. Maybe that's it. And it's in the not knowing that you can actually stay connected to spirit and that if we dragged it down here, it wouldn't be that. I don't know. I've been giving it a lot of thought because my mama died quite recently. And I'm, oh, I'm I think so about sorry. it. Well, I think about it all the time, actually. But I'm glad that you think about it, too. I'm glad that it's one of those things that we wrestle with, I think. Yeah, because I think, I don't know, I, I'd like to believe, as we know, people who have experienced a tremendous loss, especially mothers. I know when I lost my mother, my mother was my best friend. And when she passed, a sound came out of my body that I don't think I'll ever hear again or want to hear. It was animalistic. It felt like something that was being severed in some way, shape, or form. And then I think I've constantly been, like I, I, like I know and feel her presence and all that happens in the world, all the people that are sort of gentle reminders of her. I do understand that. It is a thing, I guess, you're not supposed to know until you do know. Hmm. Because I think you just, you're supposed to have some faith that there is more. I think that's what keeps you moving forward because you know what the end is. We all know what the end is. It's very clear what the end is. It's definitive that we all will die. But there's a promise that we will live on and we will see each other again. And so I think we keep moving through space with the hope that I'm going to see that person again until I get there. I'm going to keep doing things down in this plane and hopefully making a difference, leaving some fingerprints on things and making hopefully the spaces that we're in rich and full before it's our turn. But we want to know that when it's our turn, that someone's there, that you're not alone. And that's something we don't know. We just have to have faith and believe. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that faith is what can make being here a little freer. Because it's like, we just get this one as far as we know. So play. Can I ask you a question, Minnie? Can I ask you a question? Yeah. When your mother passed, you were very close, am I right? Mm, yeah. Where do you think the love goes? What do you do with that love? Good Lord. Well, the funny thing is, I don't feel like it's gone anywhere. Like, mm. I feel like, in a way, it has become distilled. Because mm. the fact that she's not here to kind of talk about all the stuff, so all the bad stuff, all the difficult stuff, all the amazing stuff, life in general. Because... All of that has disappeared. Really what's been left in this kind of relief is the grace and the laughter and the humor. And all of that for me is love. And I feel it so intensely. And even though I'm, I can't talk to her and tell her, I feel like that was the gift that she left me with, was what survives of us is love. Like that is quite literally what survives of us is that vibration and that feeling and to be able to give that to your children and for them to continue to feel it after you're physically not here anymore i think that's the point it's like passing the baton right yeah 
a hundred percent. And I was explaining that to my son the other day. And I think it was really amazing being able to tell him, and I know he won't forget, I have all of this love, all of this love that mum left me with. And it's so incredible to be able to tell you about that love and that when you see it, you'll know it. You'll mm. see because you'll recognize it in you and then you'll have it. And so it goes on and so it goes on. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sorry you lost yeah. your mum and your dad. I mean, we all do, eh? It's just, it's yeah. just what happens. We do, we do. And, and you know, it's for, for those who haven't, if anyone's listening out there who haven't, and I think it terrifies them knowing that if it happened, they don't know what they would do. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always telling people, you will, I grieved and I leaned into it. My friend Melissa was the one who gave me the advice. I said, because I felt like I was such a good son. I loved being a son. Hmm. I loved my parents. And she said, you're going to pour that love into everything that you do. And so I think that I know that I, I know I, it was a definitive moment in my life where the choice was to use that love with even more conviction. And like you're saying, to distill it, to say that this is what, what purpose is, what my intentions are, who I love, how I love. Not that I, not that I flitted it around, but I guess I did. I just had, it was more out there. Yeah. It focuses you. Like, that's the thing. When you lose someone, even though you don't lose them, but when they are physically gone, it is so focused because you so clearly feel what it is that you felt about them. Yeah. It certainly made me question all of the stuff that I gave a lot of energy to that really didn't deserve that energy and didn't Absolutely. need it and didn't require it. Done with that. <laughs> right? You can see Coleman in Zola which is in theatres now, and it's honestly the most radical and best film of the year, in my opinion, maybe in many years. Run, don't walk to see it. And Candyman, which is released on August the 27th this year. Mini Questions is hosted and written by me, Mini Driver. Supervising producer, Aaron Kaufman. Producer, Morgan Lavoy. Research assistant, Marissa Brown. Original music, Sorry Baby, by Mini Driver. Additional music by Aaron Kaufman. Executive produced by me, Mini Driver. Special thanks to Jim Nicolay, Will Pearson, Addison O'Day, Lisa Castella and Anique Oppenheim at WKPR. Dela Pescador, Kate Driver and Jason Weinberg, and for constantly solicited tech support, Henry Driver. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. 
Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts i used to have so many men how this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks Scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly 10 million dollars was all gone It's just unbelievable Hide your money in your old rich men Because <laughs> she is on the prowl Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts